the very latest from our local ag industry. The Farming Show with Dylan Honkoop is next on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. Dr. John's Auto Clinic, located in Bellingham on Kentucky Street, is here for your auto repair and service needs. Trusted and affordable auto repair in Bellingham for over 25 years. Ask about their oil change and maintenance inspections. You can hear Brian from Dr. John's Auto Clinic every Saturday on In the Shop on News Talk 790 KGMI. Or check out Dr. John's Auto Clinic at djautoclinic.com. And on Facebook for the latest in auto repair news. Dr. John's Auto Clinic, reliable, honest, and a part of this community for over 25 years. Now you can mow, dig, grade, haul, and more with the perfect solution for your property, a Branson tractor. Save your back and your wallet with one of our compact but powerful tractors here at Farmers Equipment Company. Stop by and choose from our full line of Bransons to take on your toughest tasks. With tractors from 19 to 55 horsepower, we have a Branson compact or utility tractor that is perfect for you. Want to use a rotary cutter to tame that tall brush on your property? You can do that. What about snagging a scoop from that pile of gravel to maintain your driveway free of potholes? You can do that too. Branson's six-year warranty along with our factory-trained technicians will make sure your new tractor is always running great. Get the tractor you want and the peace of mind you need at Farmers Equipment Company. To learn more, visit us online at FarmersEquip.com or stop by our locations in Linden or Burlington today. Farmers Equipment Company, serving the Pacific Northwest for over 86 years. Imani wouldn't be here if it wasn't for St. Jude. Everything was perfect until that day when she was five weeks old. So there was a fairly large and aggressive brain tumor, but St. Jude Children's Research Hospital gave us the ultimate gift in this world, which was hope restored. And she's tumor free now. We came as two desperate parents, and they saved our daughter's life. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. You know, there's a common saying that people around the farming community tend to say, and I don't know how true this is. I think there's some hyperbole here, but talking about how kids think that food comes from the grocery store, milk comes from the grocery store, apples, you know, what's the problem with all these farmers? I just get my stuff in the grocery store. There's also, I think, another trope about... um, Something about chocolate milk coming from brown cows or something like that, which was a joke when I was a little kid. But now it's more of a, a way that folks say, well, you know, these city slickers, they, that's what they think. Uh, now, I don't know how true that is, but certainly as we talk about often here on The Farming Show. And welcome back, by the way, Dylan Honkoop here on KGMI this morning. Uh, as we often talk about, there is a disconnect where folks in... Who, who aren't in farming, and, and we think of the big city, all people in Seattle really could be anywhere, and really and they could even live in a rural area, but they aren't engaged in farming. They don't know necessarily how f- current farming practices work, what's actually going on. Education is so important for people to feel connected to how their food is produced. How do we do that education? When, where? Well, 
you know, the organization that I work for, Watkin Family Farmers, has poured a lot of effort into educational resources for the community uh, and local community here in Whatcom County. And one of the the, uh, kind of signature events now that's in, well, we'll find out in just a sec how many years, uh, is the, the Farm Circle event. We've talked about it here before on the program, and it just wrapped up uh last week at the northwest washington fairgrounds once again it's back um to its former glory after you know some tough years of covid as so many other you know live event sort of things but it's educating third graders about real local farming joining me right now is ellie steensma who ali we've had you on the my real food real people podcast yep, right. i don't know if we've ever had you here on this show have we no no nope. Um, but she is here at Watkin Family Farmers, our new, what is it, education and outreach coordinator? Is that the... Yeah, Ag your, Education Coordinator and Watkin Farm Circle Director Coordinator. There we go. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this was your first go-around with the... After years of Jewel Terwisha, doing a great job of getting that off the ground and... Yeah, and she was an amazing mentor yeah. this year with asking, answering lots of my many asked questions. I think some people just take that event for granted in some ways because it's been going for a while. But really, you know, in our circle here, oh, we just think, you know, everybody knows about it. But not everybody knows about the Farm Circle event and that hundreds of third graders from all over Wycombe County come and learn about farming. Explain what the event is. Yeah. So thanks for having me, first of all. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, just happy to share a little bit about this event. We just celebrated this year our seventh year of the Farm Circle. Last two years, we've had, obviously, a lot of chaos with not having a normal year. Right. But this year, we're back to our normal year, and we hit a record number of students. We had 891 students wow. attend this year. From, just short of 900 third graders. yeah. yeah. From 18 different schools who attended this year. 18, I'm trying to think out, you think about all the the main, you know, the public schools across Whatcom County. Obviously quite a few more than that between what, private schools, homeschool mm-hmm. groups. I mean, how do you, yeah, how do you get had, to that many? We just put out a big word, you know, whoever wants to come. And it's mm-hmm. first come, first serve. Obviously we can't take everyone. We only have a certain number of spots based on the number of days we have. Mm-hmm. But we try to take as many as we can, and so this year we hit that record. Yeah. There's obviously a lot of schools that we don't get to who don't attend because it's too far or not able to get transportation. We do offer a few transportation grants to help some of those schools from far away. Mm. And this year we had Acme Elementary come, and they were able to benefit from a transportation grant. Um, just because their distance is so far, it helps them out mm. to have that support. So that being said, we did have a lot of support from some awesome sponsors mm. throughout the community. Um, Dairy Farmers of Washington and Reisner Distributors were our title sponsors, and then lots of other great community supporters and local farmers who participated as well. Yeah, volunteers too, some of mm-hmm. whom weren't even farmers, but were just believed in the cause, right? Yeah, and part of that too is it's awesome because we can provide an experience for those volunteers as well. Mm. A lot of them learn so much from the experience too. And, and the parent chaperones. And all I, the parent chaperones. We had, I think, a record number of parent chaperones this year too, just because I think so many parents were like, Finally, a field trip we can right. participate in. You know, after two or more years, lots of parents wanted to come and see this. And 
I'm hopeful that that brought a lot of outreach to our community too, that parents could gather some new experiences from this as well and learn about our agriculture community. Ellie Steensma, the uh, Ag Education Coordinator with Whatcom Family Farmers and then the leader of the Farm Circle event. I forget the official title. You're the Farm Circle Director. Director. Okay. Um, Anybody who knows me introducing people on on the air over the years knows that I'm bad at it. But anyway, I'll try my best. She's our guest right now here on The Farming Show, Dylan Honkoop here on KGMI, talking about the just-wrapped-up Whatcom Farm Circle event. How many years is it in? I I remember... Seventh year this year. Seventh year. It's a lot of kids, Mm -hmm. if you add it up. Yeah, thousands. Between all those years who have been through this event. And it was cool during COVID, even though we couldn't do the in-person thing. With this, we there was the awesome virtual, virtual yeah. which we're, we're still available. If anyone wants to use it, it extends past third grade. Anyone is welcome to take advantage of that from our website and get the experience from that. There's, it's still relevant, even though it's not from this year. So, okay. Um, explain a little bit more in detail. How, how does it go? How do you educate third graders? And like, how long are they there? Obviously, they load up on buses and come out to the fairgrounds. Explain mm-hmm. how it goes. Yeah, so it's hosted at the Northwest Washington Fair. We have seven different stations. The students are there for about two hours. They come and they all start in different spots, depending on which school they're from. We have seven stations. One is a technology station that's all focused on different technologies, anything from combines to tractors to hay wagons. Basically, the definition we give of technology is anything that makes the farmer's job easier. And in the circumstance of that station, it's hosted by my sister, and she teaches kids about cow collars and how that can track their steps and help farmers to understand how the steps can give them different information about the cows. Low steps might mean the cow is sick or high steps, meaning the cow might be in heat or pregnant. So the kids all get different numbers and get sorted into cow pens. They pretend to be cows. <laughs> and based on their score, we decide how many pregnant cows are there today? How many cows need to go to the vet? How yeah. many cows just had, you know, an average cow day just hanging out? An average <laughs> so that's, cow day. that's one station. That one's pretty fun to watch because the kids love running around. When you talk about your sister, Kate Steenspa, yeah. helping out with that. Mm-hmm. And she's helped with this event since the for beginning. A, a long time. Um, but also, just in terms of your background, it should be a moment here where we mention you grew up on a local dairy. Yeah. Your parents, John and Karen Steensma, out west of Linden there. So you know all about this. Now you're involved with Steensma Creamery, mm-hmm. which yeah. maybe we'll have a sec to bug you about. <laughs> Sounds good. In a few minutes. But um, so anyway, that's one station I interrupted. That's I'll okay. let you continue. Yeah, that's okay. Lots to talk about. But one of our other stations where the kids run around is the new Farming for Life experience at the fair which is honestly like a whole field trip in itself. There's so much for the kids to do in there. We set aside a scavenger hunt for each kid where they either like milk the cow that's in there, watch a video and learn about something that a farmer is growing. There's an interactive raspberry picker that they can watch a video of and all sorts of games and puzzles in there. Mm -hmm. That one, all the kids said, there wasn't enough time for this one. Each station's only about 14 minutes. That one, they wanted more time. So that's kind of a little plug to go out there to anyone is take your kids there for field trip, take your kids there during the fair. It's a huge um, opportunity for learning and just fun, honestly. 
Um, we have other stations. Three of the stations are kind of focused on commodities that we grow here. Mm-hmm. One on potatoes, which also highlights like photosynthesis because the kids learn about how plants grow mm. and all the different types of potatoes that we grow here. Yeah. There's a huge potato harvester that's at the event that they get to look at. There's a dairy station that's all about just our dairy farmers and how dairy farmers milk their cows, dairy products, and a raspberry station that has a raspberry picker. That's a huge hit with the kids. And this year, um, my friend Aaliyah, who was teaching that station, got the kids to do a whole dance about what the different actions are of being on a picker, shaking like a picker, like the shakers, sorting berries, stacking flats, and they got really into that one. Um, And then one of our other stations is led by my mom doing a wildlife habitat awareness kind of station, teaching kids about riparian zones and all the different habitats that that provides for on farms and helping kids to understand that we farmers want things living on their farm besides their animals. You know, they want salmon, they want eagles, they want bears, cougars insects, you name it, because it's all about ecosystem balance and understanding the importance of how that affects all of us. And then our last station is from the Conservation District. Whatcom Conservation District hosts a whole segment on um, water quality and things that farmers do to protect water, why water is so important to us. They have these very cool interactive water tables where the kids get to see how water moves, their actual water flows through the tables and touch the different watersheds on a uh, giant map. That one's usually a pretty big hit, too. Yeah. All of them are a hit, honestly. They're so, all so fun. And so, neat. like, 14 minutes for each station, and then you keep it moving. So the whole thing, yep. how, how long does it take for a, a, a group of students to go through all the stations? It's a little under two hours for a school group. A school group will be there for two hours. They'll start at one station, work their way all the way through, and then head out. And after they head out, they get swag bags. All the kids mm-hmm. get local snacks from Dairy Gold, Bellwood Acres, um, and field farms doing some little jams. So they all get little fun snacks and um, take home a journal as well that kind of like allows them to write down what they learned and brainstorm and all kinds of other fun prizes and stuff too from our sponsors. Very, very cool. Obviously takes a lot of people yeah, to put we, this together. We couldn't do it without all our volunteers. And How many volunteers leaders. does it take roughly? Uh, at least 40 or 50. Wow. Plus all the station leaders, too, and whoever they bring in to help them. Plus the funding to make it all happen. Yeah, and couldn't hence, do it without the sponsors. Yeah, yeah. the sponsors that you talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would imagine there are future sponsorship opportunities if people are hearing about this saying, hey, I'd love to support something like that. Yeah, absolutely. We're glad to have the support and invite all our sponsors to come visit. We had several sponsors come out to the event and get a tour and see the kids in action. Awesome. Again, Ellie Steensma is with Ellie Steensma Corbin, technically. Full name, yeah. <laughs> and married now, and congrats on that. Thank you. Uh, with us on the farming show. Um, she's a former and now current colleague of mine here at, at Whatcom Family Farmers uh, because you were uh, a helper for us for what was that, over a summer? Yeah. Right? A couple it, years just ago while you were still in college. on maternity leave, and yeah. I helped out with you guys a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now you're on staff um, more. You know, longer term. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully we can keep you around because we need your help. Yeah, uh, I mean, doing I'm education busy, stuff. But 
I yeah. like being here. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, what other kind of stuff are you working on right now? So my family has a dairy farm, and my sister and I started up our creamery about a year ago. I'm working on getting ownership, but Kate's the main owner right now. We make artisan skier, which is Icelandic yogurt, and we're branching out to hopefully make some new soft cheeses and other unique dairy products in the future. Awesome. So how much work does that take for you? Like, are you, you guys like taking care of the cows, milking the cows, doing the feed, or are you just taking the milk? Cause your, your dad's still dairies, right? Yeah, we don't do everything. You just be like, Hey it's, dad, can we buy some milk from you and turn it into skier? Exactly. Yeah. It's a family nice. affair. Right. There's no way we could do it on our own. Right. So dad and my brother, Zach milk the cows my other brother, Ben, works at Twinbrook Creamery, but okay. he's pretty involved in the dairy as well, helping out when he can. And so he has that processing experience as well, which maybe um, sure. we'll be able to take advantage of as we expand. Who knows? Um, and then my mom does biology. She's a professor. So our whole kind of mindset has been teaching people throughout our whole lives with my mom being a professor and then just the experiences that we've had, we just love to be able to share what we do with people. Yeah. So that kind of shaped why I'm here and why I do what I do. <laughs> awesome. So you're legit in the farming world and educating people about it through this advocacy and education role. Um, again, Dylan Honkup here on uh, the farming show here on KGMI. Uh, I work for Watkin Family Farmers and Save Family Farming. So does our guest, Ellie Steensma. And again, glad to have you here uh, this morning on the program. What about on the, you know, we talked about the farm circle, but you've got some other educational um, projects underway for the farming community right now. Yeah, I mean, um, we're always trying to find new ways to provide educational experiences for our community as the new, my job is kind of a new role, agriculture education coordinator. I'm trying to develop some new programs to help get our community more involved. Obviously with this new farming for life experience at the fair, that's something we really want to try to push. And part of my role will be providing experiences for people to get involved in that. So hopefully that'll be a part of my role in the future. I also help out with the local FFA chapter, Lynn and Christian, um, as an FFA advisor Mm. and have taught a couple classes over there. So I have a very broad (laughs) education skill set, and I'm hoping to be able to use that to create some new programs here, maybe some programs for older kids, teaching about careers, opportunities for them in the agriculture world. There's so many right yeah. now. Have yeah. a lot of job openings. Why do you do all this? Why why is it worth it? What what you know? What why is this so important? What you're doing? I think I just find it really rewarding to be able to connect with so many people in the agriculture industry, and I enjoy learning about everything that agriculture has to offer, and then turning that around, being able to teach that to other people, and see the fulfillment they get out of that. Learning mm. about where their food comes from. And learning about all the benefits that this community has to offer. I feel like seeing them get a reward out of that gives me um, a reward as well. Kind of a back and forth sort of thing. Networking and yeah. just constantly learning new things. And why why would you say it's important for people to know where their food comes from? Obviously, we take that kind of value for granted. Yeah. I think a lot of people do. But I think sometimes it's good to even call it out. Like, why does that make a difference? 
I think it makes a difference because it allows us to be able to feel like we have a connection to it and feel like we have a connection to our world, which is really important because we want to be able to protect this world. Mm -hmm. And in order for that to happen, we have to work together. People who aren't farmers have to work together with the farmers because no farms, no food, right? And if we don't understand that and learn how to kind of live in harmony with each other, then there's no future for us. That knowledge... Uh, yeah, even just knowledge, education being a tool to spread that knowledge is a part of sustainability. Mm-hmm. Like you can do all the quote unquote right practices on the ground, but if not everyone is aware or knows or understands how they fit into this, you know, because the consumer fits into the sustainability cycle as well, that if there's a breakdown there, you can't really have a fully sustainable system. Right. And yeah, like I said, it needs to be sustainable. We need to all be on the same page for the most part, or yeah. we're not going to make any progress. Ellie, thanks so much for being here. By, by the way, folks, if you want to check out Ellie's full story, here's just a shameless plug for my own podcast, the Real Food, <laughs> Real People podcast. You can check it out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a whole raft of other locations, as well as realfoodrealpeople.org. And you can watch the video um, of the conversation I had with Ellie, kind of sharing her whole story right in the historic farmhouse where she grew up. You can find that on YouTube. Just look for Real Food, Real People, or on Facebook and on Instagram. Again, Ellie Steensma Corbin uh, with Black and Family Farmers. Thank you so much for being here with us yeah. and for what you're doing Thank for you. us, helping us with some really important stuff. Thank you. Men over 45, do you have a frequent, urgent need to urinate or a weak flow? Do you suffer from an enlarged prostate or BPH? Want to learn about alternatives to BPH medication and major surgery? How? The Urolift system. The Urolift system is an in-office, minimally invasive procedure. It reopens the channel with no cutting and provides rapid symptom relief with no new sustained erectile or ejaculatory dysfunction as shown in a clinical study. Call Bellingham Urology Group about the Eurolift system today at 360-714-3400. Most common side effects are temporary and can include discomfort when urinating, urgency, inability to control the urge, pelvic pain, and some blood in the urine. Rare side effects, including bleeding and infection, may lead to a serious outcome and may require intervention. For more information, call Bellingham Urology Group, located in Bellingham, or their new office in Mount Vernon at 360-714-3400 and online at bellinghamurologygroup.com. Ready to put some skin in the game? The only sports book north of Snohomish County is now open at Silver Reef Casino Resort. Get in the game with baseball, football, basketball, hockey, and your other favorite sports. Visit Portage Bay Sportsbook and Bar and place your bets today. Sportsbook open daily at 9 a.m. Betting kiosks open 24-7. Silver Reef Casino Resort, located off I-5, exit 260. We've got that. At Silver Reef Casino Resort, we've got that. Escape the hustle and bustle of the city and get ready for a fun and relaxation-filled getaway. Luxury hotel rooms? Yep. Championship golf? Mm Mm-hmm. Top-rated casino with all the best slots and table games? Yes and yes. World-class dining at the region's best and Wine Spectator award-winning steakhouse? Yes, please. The total package is only missing one thing. You. Silver Reef Casino Resort. Located off I-5, exit 260. We've got that. the shop. Chip shortages, any components, the semiconductors cause new vehicles not to be able to be produced. U.S. car production fell 
23% in 2020. Steve from Panacea, Kirk from Angler, Brian from Dr. John's, and Dan from Bellingham and Burlington Automotive. He was in having his oil change at the dealer, and they offered him more than he paid for the thing. 9 to 10 a.m. every Saturday on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Tired of inefficient heating, poor indoor air quality, and rising energy bills? Contact West Mechanical today at westmechanical.net to explore going ductless with a system from Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. Seattle Times headline. When it comes to water rights, collaboration beats litigation. Hmm, that's interesting. We, if you followed this program at all over the last couple of years, you know we have the tendency to talk about this a lot. The importance of collaboration, coming together as a community to work on water issues, not just water rights, but we, we've been saying here on the program, water management uh, is the crisis that we, it's a water management crisis that the Nooksack Basin faces with flooding, with drought, too much water at some times, not enough at others, uh, very little, if any, ability to actually manage that in a responsible and sustainable way uh, to protect fish, to protect local food and farming, to protect families from flooding. This is all wrapped up into this, and it touches every single part of our community. And so th- when you see a headline that in the Seattle Times... You know, my ears are going to perk up. I think yours should, too, if you're here in in Whatcom County in the basin. What's this all about? This is talking about what happened in the Yakima Basin. We've talked about the Yakima Basin. We've talked about it both as a cautionary tale on one hand from some of the things that have happened there. We've also talked about it as really a point of inspiration of what can happen. So it turns out this article in the Seattle Times uh, is an opinion piece, uh, an editorial written by Scott Ravel and Phil Rigdon. Um, there in the Yakima Basin. And uh, Phil Rigdon, he's a member of the Yakima Nation and superintendent of the Yakima Nation's Natural Resources Department. We reached out to him, been trying to get him on the program. It hasn't worked scheduling-wise as of yet, but Scott Ravel joins us right now. He's the uh, manager of the Rosa Irrigation District, um, representing, I guess, in a lot of ways, the interests of the farming community over there in in, uh, the... Yakima Basin. He's on the phone with us this morning. Scott, how did how did this come to be that that you guys put this even put this uh, opinion piece together? I think there's so much in this that folks here in the Nooksack Basin need to be understanding and, and embracing. Well, the primary message is something that uh, both Phil and the Yakima Nation and myself and my irrigation district and most of the other uh, participants and partners in the Yakima Basin Integrated Plan have been saying for quite some time, 
Uh, and that's and, and that the plan goes back to you know, 2008, 2009, and that we're we're able to get more done when we're all pulling in the same direction. And that's mm. you know easy to say. Everybody probably agrees with that in concept, um, but you know it's much harder to put into practice. So working together, what does it take to do that? Actually do that? Like you said, it sounds nice, but in reality, it can be very difficult to make that happen. In the case of the ACMA plan. Um, I worked at a different irrigation district at the time. I uh, was there for six and a half years at, down at the bottom of the basin um, and was their representative to the group that was forming the plan back in uh, 2009. And at that point, we went around the room with all of the interests. So that was the conservation community, the state and federal fish managers, Yakima Nation, uh, four or five irrigation districts, municipal entities, counties. Um, federal government through several different agencies um, and everyone the one thing that everyone agreed on was that if we did nothing that would lead us to an unacceptable future everybody agreed that the future was going to be unacceptable by doing nothing continuing to do what we were doing which was what what was it that you were doing because there there was already a water rights adjudication filed by the state what back in the 70s and that was still on the books right right so in in 1977 uh, with a significant drought in 1977 um, the state began the adjudication process Uh, we'd had nearly 30 good water years in a row there had been a significant drought in 1941 so that would have been what 36 36 seasons prior mm-hmm. um, and that resulted in litigation that took several years to uh, hash out and that was actually two irrigation districts went after each other in that case um, and, and in 1941 the entire system was not the full development of the irrigation system had not quite happened the rosa irrigation system came online uh, first water was diverted in 1941 um, construction of the dam and our canal system continued during world war ii but the uh, the rosa system didn't develop out until the middle 1950s uh, the kennewick irrigation district was the bulk of it was built at about that same time so you had additional demand after that that uh, that watershed moment in 1945 right um when we they thought they had settled it they thought they had everything figured out right so the next big drought comes along um you know there's pretty much no water in the river for fish at that point um huge you know huge losses to growers uh, because they just didn't you know didn't have the uh, didn't have the water to grow the crops and it started off as a uh, the bureau of reclamation had miscalculated the total uh, supply of water that year mm. by several orders of magnitude they came out with something like less than a 10 percent uh, allocation which at the time was you know like an earth-shaking thing uh, never before heard of later re- realized they'd not included any of the return flows and so the number went up um, but uh, and they were they were actually looking at building a pipeline from the columbia river and pulling crews off of the alaska pipeline um, like on a, um, almost like a D-Day type scale. Wow. wow. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, one thing our district did was we kept a really good file of all the news articles from, from the 77 drought. And um, so it's rather interesting that, you know, they were trying in a space of uh, from early March to late March, just, I mean, throw a lot of money at this to try to get it fixed. And, and in the end, that that solution just didn't wasn't going to work. But um, so fast forward from 1977 to 2009, uh, so we're now, what, uh, 23, probably another 34 irrigation seasons later. 
um, we're in the midst of, uh, we're 34 years into the adjudication at that point. Um, and so we were, um, in, in many cases, most of the major claimants had settled their parts of the adjudication by that point. So people had a pretty good handle as to what they had. And, and that, you know, that helped. Um, you know, all that did was a kind of a snapshot in time. So just right. know, it doesn't solve problems. It just kind of shows you where you're at. Right. Um, in 2009, was, this was coming on the heels of a, a large storage study that had been done uh, for a major uh, irrigation reservoir outside of Sunnyside, um, between Sunnyside and Yakima, and that Congress had directed the Bureau of Reclamation to study. Uh, in the end, the state chose to take another path and look at an integrated water resources plan where you had water for irrigation, water for fish, monkey with the plumbing a little bit, some habitat improvements include the groundwater component, water marketing. And so that eventually evolved into the, the Yakima Basin uh, work group, which was about a 25-member uh, group that spent several months. Uh, we would meet twice a, twice a month all day. Just going through the history, there's dozens, mm -hmm. there's hundreds, and there's thousands of pounds of studies that have been done. And most people agreed we didn't need to do more studies. What we need to do was some, you know, implementation. Yeah. And so yeah. we um, worked through, you know, all of the issues with weather changes over time, uh, crop changes over time, fish needs. You know, also during that interim period, we in the 90s, we'd had steelhead listed as uh, as threatened under the Endangered Species Act, um, and same with bull trout. So steelhead are regulated by the National Marine Fisheries uh, Service, whereas bull trout are regulated by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And so you got two federal agencies there. They're not always um, in alignment, so they're, um, it wasn't like you could just go to one point of contact. And, yeah. and there's yeah. probably about a dozen federal agencies from uh, BPA to the Forest Service to the Bureau of Reclamation, um, and the Corps of Engineers, on and on and on, that you know, that had some handle uh, or some some influence here. So that group came together. We worked out the plan. Um, generally speaking, and I'm, I'm summarizing, but yeah, uh, people the, their view was look on on balance because this is a watershed scale plan on on balance. Even though it was taking out some habitat in places, it was replacing it in other places. And on balance, there were net gains, uh, both for uh, the ecosystem um, and for, uh, for farmers. And so the plan includes three water storage projects. Those are the pieces that we're particularly interested in. We're also very interested in uh, healthy runs of salmon and steelhead. Uh, we've, had a, we've had a biologist at our district uh, since the 1980s. Uh, we were very supportive of the 1979 federal legislation uh, in the Yakima Basin, which provided for fish ladders and fish passage. Um, and so, you know, we've, we've had, we have a 40 plus year history of, of supporting fact driven science based decision making regarding fish. Um, we were also supportive and, and helped author the 1994 legislation. Now, that was long before my time. So, the second version of the Yakima Basin Enhancement Program was a federal legislation that was approved in 1994 by Congress. Actually, on Halloween, almost exactly uh, today, wow. 1994. Yeah, so that and, uh, that helped. You know, we had a good basis to work from. There. Yeah, 
And again, we're talking with Scott Ravel right now. He's the manager of the Rosa Irrigation District over in eastern Washington uh, in the Yakima Basin, a basin that went through over 40 years of, of process to get to where they are today, uh, finally with an agreement that's moving forward and, and being cited as a model around the country for dealing with these incredibly complex water issues. Um, in some ways, very similar to what we're facing here in the Nooksack River Basin here in Whatcom County. Um, Scott is one of the co-authors of a recent editorial in the Seattle Times saying, when it comes to water rights, collaboration beats litigation. Now, that litigation part is the water rights adjudication part, and, and we've been talking about that a lot here um, if, if you guys wouldn't have, well, I guess uh, real quickly, you, the co-author on this, um, Phil Rigdon, um, with the Yakima Nation, uh, Natural Resources Department and a member of the nation, um, he was kind of one of the people at ground zero, right? Who, who kind of was able to reach out literally over the bed of a pickup truck and, and start a process of building trust. That's correct. So Phil, and Ron Van Gundy, who is my predecessor, who is the had been the manager at the irrigation district uh, from 1982 to 2002, uh, and he he retired and worked uh, part time as our policy director after 2002. He had some health problems. Uh, they sat down and had a conversation out in the parking lot and said, "Hey, you know, what are we going to do about this? We gotta we gotta we gotta figure out a better way." Uh, Derek Sanderson, who is now currently the director of the State Department of Agriculture. Uh, was key to those discussions huh. um, and talking about the different components and how, you know, how the pieces could come together. Um, and, you know, we had a couple people there who put their careers on the line uh, to try to make, uh, to chart a new path. And, and that was at a time when, and you'll hear, you'll, I've heard Phil say this publicly on many occasions. I mean, irrigation districts and the tribal, you know, tribal staff and didn't, um, and the tribal government didn't interact a whole lot. Yeah. back then and yeah. and sometimes people were at risk um just by even communicating and, mm. um, and i will tell you that, well yes and, and i can tell you that the world has changed such that uh, when ron passed away in 2017 uh, phil spoke at his funeral wow which was tremendously powerful i mean it was enough i took my family members there to see it wow um, i wanted them to see that uh and and Phil made light of that during uh, when he when he was speaking, and he was kind of only and he tell you he was only kind of partly joking. I think that's what he said at the time. <laughs> but um, you know, hey, don't tell, <laughs> don't tell everyone. You know, I could still get in trouble for this. But yeah. Yeah, I think was, at that point, I mean, the the, the relationship had had warmed, and and it really yeah. boiled down to people people got to know each other. Um, and, you know, and I I described this as we've had a our the core group has spent a lot of time together. We have traveled all over the country together many, many times. Mm. Um, we've spent a lot of time driving to Olympia for hearings and meetings and briefings. Um, several of us have given presentations about the plan in other parts of the country or in other countries. And, wow. Um, so we have uh, the State Department of Ecology, Office of Columbia River Manager, and I you know, drove up to Alberta and made a presentation on the plan to to farmers in you know in southern Alberta and, uh, and others have been to England and Brazil and mm. Australia. Um, the American Rivers Group paid to fly our our, um, our core group down to Glenwood Springs, Colorado, back in 2015, in the middle of a drought, which we made time for, and we spoke to a bunch of ranchers on the west slope of the Colorado River 
who are all worried about their water being shipped down to San Diego and Los Angeles. And, you know, kind of how our group came together. And, and you know, one of the things we said was, well, if, you know, if you can avoid the 40 years of teeth kicking in court, you know, and just kind of oh. skip ahead to the solution, that would be great. Um, so would that be your message to us here in, in the Nooksack well, avoid, Basin as well? Yeah. I mean, if you can avoid the battle, that's great. Sometimes you have to have the battle to, hmm. you know, to real, to get to the point. Um, I, I equate it. I went to a seminar a long time ago on boundary law back when I was a planning director and a, a grizzled old bruised beaten up uh, property lawyer from hmm. downtown Portland said, you know, I guess I've, I've made a lot of money, sent my kids to very good colleges and um, fighting to the knife on, on tiny, tiny, tiny little amounts of land on boundary disputes. But he goes, the bottom line is there comes a point when one of the clients, when the client on one side or the other just says, you know what, I've spent the last dollar, just go make a deal. Mm-hmm. And he goes, so if you can just jump ahead to make a deal. <laughs> yeah, why spend all that? And, <laughs> Which, and, again, and what easy. could you do with all of those resources and right. all that time instead of fight? Yeah, yeah. And that's easy to say in hindsight. Yeah, but, you know, yep. but I but I think that 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 little bit of wisdom is always always stuck with me. And where, so, where would the where would the Yakima Basin be right now if that conversation hadn't hadn't happened? If that trust wouldn't have been built? If the Yakima Basin Integrated Plan wouldn't have happened? Where would where would you be right now? Well, we definitely be a lot farther behind on the habitat improvements. Um, we have had over about a ten year period significant, um, absolutely significant uh, improvements removing. Uh, fish passage barriers. Uh, we, many of the canals had already been screened. The intakes had been screened, but um, we've removed a lot of small diversions and opened up new habitat, uh, very high quality habitat for ESA listed steelhead. That probably would not have happened. Why not? Um, well, probably we'd be, we would have been looking at a uh, probably Clean Water Act lawsuit, which had actually mm. been threatened uh, outside of Ellensburg. And so we'd probably still be fighting that. Mm. Um, my irrigation district, because of the 77 drought, has a long history of uh, very aggressive water conservation through piping smaller lateral canals. Um, so we've been doing that since 1983. There has also been a big emphasis basin-wide on on-farm conservation. I don't think we'd be nearly as far uh, with on-farm conservation. Uh, part of that is we were able to get uh, money put into the federal budget for the conservation districts to help uh, growers convert from real like furrow irrigation uh, mm-hmm. to center pivots, more efficient systems. And there's significant labor savings that also accrue in addition to water savings. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I think the, you know, those are just a couple of examples, you know, long-term water supply planning, long-term uh, water marketing, you know, the, I mean, my district leases more water than probably everybody else put together, um, you know, probably maybe even statewide you yeah. know, in a yeah. drought. So those water, water um, marketing conversations are. Uh, we've actually got some studies going on certain market aspects that, are, that that would not have happened because when we go to Olympia or Washington D.C., we all have the same message, and so that's that's you know very very powerful with our delegation. Yeah. And when we're and and even elected representatives and in, in other states um, and with the you know like the committee staff when we're trying to explain where we're coming from whether it's you know, appropriations or the Ag Committee, you know, whether it's House or Senate um, or natural resources, you know, on the House side. So be, having one message is huge and we don't always agree. Sometimes we have to agree to not say a few things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we, we have to maintain that, that trust, right? 
Right. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. we have, we have to, you know, sometimes success looks like, well, we're not going to oppose something, mm-hmm. you know, that's sometimes that's the best we can do. Well, you have to look at the bigger picture and there has to be a give and take yeah. and something that you referenced earlier too. You can't do anything without having impacts and there will be some negative impacts no matter what you do, but you have to weigh right. that out and look at the big picture and get a net gain overall make better things happen than worse uh there's just so much uh that we can can glean from this here in the nooksack we just have like 30 seconds left we've been talking with scott Ravel with the rosa irrigation district uh over in the yakima area is based in sunnyside representing farmers there working with tribes over there um in recent years and decades to hash out water rights issues and ultimately creating the the Yakima Basin Integrated Plan. Um, in just the last, you know, 15 seconds that we have before we got to run uh, to the break here, Scott, what, what would your advice be uh, for folks here in Whatcom County facing the, the specter of, of this process? Commit to building trust and commit to keeping it over many, many years so that when you go to the other parties and explain that that's a backbreaker issue, they'll believe you and they'll, uh, they'll respect it. Very good advice. Thank you so much. Um, we should have you back sometime because this is such a, a deep uh, subject. I wish we had more to, time to get into it, but thank you so much, uh, Scott uh, Ravel there in, in Sunnyside.